Spark innovation across your federal agency with IT hardware, software, and services from Connection Public Sector Solutions. Your technology procurement challenges will meet their match as Connection's dedicated account managers offer exceptional customer service, and our extensive list of supported federal contracts means you'll always get a price that works for your budget. Learn more about innovation for your agency with Connection Public Sector Solutions at connection.com slash fedcontracts. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Stephen Shields Radio Show. Today I'm here with a guest named Jack Barrett, who I studied with. He is a contemporary musician who plays the bass guitar. He has perfect pitch. How are you, Jack? I'm very good. How about yourself, man? Good, man. Uh, we studied together, and uh, I remember being in oral class with you. You had perfect pitch, and you, you were very good at rhythmic dictation. Tell me your journey of having perfect pitch. Well, I'm not gonna lie. I, I didn't I didn't realize I had perfect pitch until I, I think it was uh, in year seven. I was asked to do a test by uh, my um, what is it? My um, music teacher, uh, Mrs. Hart, and um, she just um, I think gave me a bunch of notes, and um, I said what they were, and then she um, she told me, "Yep, you've got perfect pitch." I'm like, "Well, okay, that's news to me." And um, didn't realize how much that had helped me until um, until you until the times that we studied together, you know. Yeah, because I remember I was sitting next to you in class, and um, uh, especially with melodic dictation, you were able to get the rhythm and the pitch right as well. And that's pretty good. That has an advantage, although having perfect pitch has a disadvantage as well. But uh, you've you've done uh, quite a fair bit of uh, transcribing music as well. What's been your process in transcribing other people's work? Uh, well, my um, transcription process is really as follows, I guess. I think um, there isn't really one set, I guess sort of procedure to it but generally the way i like to think of it is i um i start off by um sort of making a very very sort of to the near rounding up to the nearest 10 like the i i listen to the composition and i um to roughly to the nearest 10 get the amount of bars there are and i can always add and delete bars later that's what i start with and then I, uh, if there's time signature changes involved in the piece, I um, map out where those um, changes are, you know. I mean, what bar do those time signature changes happen? And um, then I put them in, and then generally after that, you know, and that whole, that whole time signature process actually makes it easier to delete bars, you know, and get to the more sort of, nuanced number of bars there are in the entire piece and then i start off 
with the rhythm section because generally speaking, every time I've transcribed the rhythm section is generally the easiest. You know, I start off with the rhythm section, you know, and then um, once I've done the rhythm section, which is the drums and the bass, I like to get started on whatever the melody, whatever melodic instrument is playing, you know, and um, and then I sort of fill in the middle bits later on. The hardest is generally, the hardest instruments to do are generally the ones that are more buried in the mix, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there have, there have been times where um, the rhythm section has been really hard to hear in a recording. So when I do that, I like really the the main rule. And I, uh, the main rule for me is to um, do the easiest instrument, transcribe the easiest instrument first, and then really sort of ha really sort of hash out the um, harder instruments the ones that are harder to hear or harder to transcribe either because they've got lots of notes or they've got notes you can't immediately hear because they're um, too speedy i guess i mean that's certainly been the case for me whenever i've transcribed jacob astorius uh, jacob astorius solos because he's just a freak um what else is what, what else can i tell you uh yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty much my process simplified, really. Yeah, I guess when you do start off with, like, one instrument at a time as well, I suppose that breaks it down uh, much more easier. I found when I was learning to transcribe music, I would, I found headphones would uh, help rather than oh. using my MacBook speaker... No wonder why it was out of tune. Yeah, it's always it's yeah. That's that's absolute. That's you're absolutely right about that. I mean, the headphones, especially like don't don't listen. In my opinion, you know, don't listen. Don't listen to your music through earpods. If you're transcribing, that's a really really bad idea because earpods tend to um kill off the higher frequencies, which may mean stuff you can't hear. So whenever you um transcribe i would sort of recommend that you get um a big set of cans like my um audio technicas or whatever yeah and uh, also if you've got it you know get transcribe i mean i started off having this huge ego complex thinking that i could transcribe you know anything yeah i can't i don't have to slow down i could just transcribe but um eventually there, there are some things you just need to sort of you need to slow it down any way possible to get all those notes. Yeah, I suppose getting the notes is the most hardest when you're transcribing. I mean, I found if I if I loop the recording, it would just drive me insane, Jack. I was taught to do it sort of phrase by phrase, like the stop-start method. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I've been doing it lately. You know, whenever I've transcribed really weird solos, I do it phrase by phrase. Mm. Now, I would find, I, I would transcribe in the morning, because I found it was more fresh. I'd probably do it about two hours a day max, and that's it. Just had to put it down for the rest of the day. How quick are you with your working process? How quick am I? Yeah. Oh, well, I like to, um, well, 
I um sort of I'm, I'm I guess I'm quicker with it. It's, it really depends on how easy the instruments are to transcribe and how they've um, how they've been um, sort of mixed in the recording. I've decided to transcribe. That can make a really big difference as to how fast or how slow your recording goes, uh, your transcription goes. Um, sometimes I'm able to do like I mean bass bass solos. I can do them in roughly any any time between. 30, 30 minutes to maybe two hours, you know, if it's just one instrument like that, if it's just a, a really interesting bass solo, it's um, anywhere between 30 and 30 minutes and maybe two hours. Actually, wait, 30 minutes and one hour for um, fretted solos, but if it's a Jacob Astoria solo or any place fretless, maybe add another hour because nobody's perfect when they're playing. Nobody's perfect when they're playing a fretless instrument. You know, not all of the notes are going to be right on pitch, you know? Yeah, speaking about that, there are so many um, uh, transcriptions out there of, say, one solo, but there are dodgy works as well. Oh, yeah. Especially if you looked it up on Google. Um, oh, yeah, Google. <laughs> not a good place to look for transcriptions, if you ask me. No. Or if you brought some tablature books, there are dodgy transcriptions that just, uh, yuck. You yeah, know. absolutely yuck. You know, I mean, like this, like um, an experience I had was, um, I mean, my um, my brother was learning a solo, and he decided before you know transcribing it himself to um it was a pro it was of a prog metal song of such. I think it was Animals as Leaders. But um the um he opened up the transcription he found in guitar guitar ultimate guitar or guitar world no not guitar. Oh yeah. Just one of those really stupid things. And there was actually legitimately a section missing that said don't know, you know? Oh God. You you have to be I mean if you're it's a place where people go to look for trans. It's a place where people go to look for tablatures, not for people to say, "Oh, I don't know how the, how, how to transcribe this." You know. Are you serious? This was published in a in a guitar magazine. Oh, no, oh sorry, no, 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 not, not in a guitar magazine. It was published on a guitar website, oh. um, which is a sort of open source for um, anybody who wants to transcribe things on tablatures, specifically on tablatures. I don't think I've ever gone on that website mm. and um, seen anything on actual notes rather than on tablatures, because most guitarists on that website learn from tablatures, I would think at least. Yeah, I mean, that's the frustrating thing as well because there's not there's so many different tablatures out there that are uh, written different. Some of it's confusing, some of it's good. They, I've noticed now modern tablature, they put the rhythm stems, which is good. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's very good. You know, versus someone just saying, oh, play this on the fifth fret, well... I don't know if it's a triplet or a, or a quarter note, you know, you know, or a half note. So how can I tell if that's why it's good to read music at the same time? Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. 
you know. But since uh, your musical journey, uh, and we're living in uh, 2020 with the COVID-19, you, you were working at the airport. Share your experience about what happened with you. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I was just pushing trolleys at the airport. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, that, that that is legitimately what I was doing. And I've been doing that since... Um, high school um i'm not i'm not uh, since the since just the, the end of it and i'm not gonna lie i was working there already for four and a half years so i thought it was time for a change anyway i was getting really sick of the place anyway mm. and um i think they called us to they called us to a meeting and essentially told us that several of us would be stood down but we'd still we'd still be um technically employed but we'd um we uh would not have any shifts and that's the um that was said that was essentially what we what i was dealt you know mm. i'd say 90 percent of easy cart staff staff don't have shifts anymore yeah stood down without pay yeah well i mean yeah and i was able i was able to uh, apply for um job keeper so i mean <laughs> And how was your process getting JobKeeper this year? Oh, I can't, I can't even remember, to be honest. I wish I could talk to you about that, but <laughs> I do not remember. You know, it was just a weird time, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, we're just coming out of a very strange, weird, messed up time. You know, and, um, but uh, sounded like music's your passion, Oh yeah, it's, it it always has been. I think. I mean, listening to it, you know, playing it, it's always been a it's always been a passion for me. And um, as time goes on, I think I've exposed myself to more mu- music. That passion grows, and your passion for um, creativity, you know, grows. You know, your passion for experimentation, especially. That's that's what I've noticed about my so to speak, musical journeys that I become a lot more, ex- I sort of try to experiment a little bit more with different instruments rather than just the guitar and the bass and the drums. Mm. Do you compose any any original work? I do. I, do. I compose original work all the time, which I mostly keep to myself until I think it's, until I think it's worth releasing. You know what I mean? That's yeah. pretty much, yeah. I mean, I do compose all the time. Sometimes it's rock, sometimes... Actually, no, mo- no, that's an understatement. Most of the time it is rock. Sometimes it's experimental electronic music. Sometimes it's... Sometimes it's just nice, subtle, soft stuff or whatever. But I like to... But I do compose my own stuff. That's the That's the bottom line. It's always good to compose your own work. Oh, no doubt. Um, I've enjoyed the process of composing and and publishing on, you know, Spotify and all that. Mm-hmm. I've heard some of your work. It sounds amazing, especially like um, Judas. That's my favorite. Yeah, you got to check out the music video on YouTube. Mm, I have. It's a, good mu- it's a good music video. It's a mm. very good music video. Thanks, man. It was a good, good, uh, good video to do, and I did one for Death and Life. 
I still need to look that one up. But um, I'll definitely get around to it sometime. Yeah, that's on my uh, YouTube as well. You know. But yeah. um, with uh, your musical journey, you're playing in some uh, bands. Tell yes, t- tell everyone about what you, what uh, style you play and what your band's about. Oh well, I'm in two, I'm in two bands that are both within the um, rock sort of category, but there's just in two different subcategories. One of my bands is very much more, I guess, '90s inspired um, hard rock music, inspired by things like grunge and um, somewhat punk and stuff like that. Um, bands like Hole and um, The Preachers and um, oh, what else? I'm sure I had a whole list. <laughs> and um, sort of bands like that. I mean, Nirvana plays as a, plays a huge influence and so does... Um, but as well as that sort of, I guess, basic kind of grunge mould, we also kind of put our own separate taste into it. Like Ash is very much into... Paramore, for example, Luke's very much into, um, and um, Luke is very much into um, My Chemical Romance and The Used. Connor is very much into sludge metal like the Melvins, and I'm into sort of dream pop like Slow Dive. So we kind of bring those tastes together. But um, the other band I'm in is sort of i just mainly let the guitarist and singer take charge they they're excellent songwriters and they write very well in the mold of jane's dick in um mold of sort of 80s 70s 80s 90s glam so um yeah those are the two different bands i'm in really and um they've kept me busy they've kept me happy and i'm very happy to be part of those bands yeah it's always good to feel uh happy with what you're doing as well and that's oh, yeah. that's Very the main nice. thing sorry what was that that's the main thing you know you oh, got to feel yeah, happy no doubt, no doubt. i'm very i'm very happy where i am i love the people i work with and especially playing live that's the best part which i didn't get much of for six months but now it's starting to perk back up so i'm getting very happy yeah, live music's always the best. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Best to especially, listen to. Especially when there are people watching. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the case with anybody? Yeah, well, that's it, you know. I, I went to a live concert at the Kudos Bank Arena two weeks ago. Oh, who'd you see? I was just some uh, can- contemporary musicians. I saw uh, Kevin Bacon... Oh, Kevin Bacon is in the actor, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, playing guitar. Oh, cool. he, oh, he plays guitar. Oh, no, and no, the, no, the no. I think it was the old lead singer from Powderfinger. Oh, Bernard Fanning. Yeah. Love so, Powderfinger. and love Bernard Fanning. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I, I went for free because it was a free concert from um, the Support Act. Uh, they're like grants uh, sort of. Uh, I think f- uh, grants thing from for musicians, uh, which was good. I was very thankful for that. Well, I'm glad, man. I'm sorry. It was certainly. Um, it certainly sounds like it would have been a good thing. Were there lots of people there? Not a lot. It was very uh, limited capacity. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, to keep 
to keep things safe. You know, it's got to be limited capacity. Mm. But you know what was weird? Yeah. The venue charged everyone ten dollars to cloak their bag. To cloak their bag. Yeah. Okay. You know what the like, cloak room I'm is? Aware of that. You, you know. What exactly did they mean by cloaking your bag? Oh, because you can't bring your bag into to the concert. You have you have to put them in a like a, secu- a storage room. Ah, oh, yes. And they charge they charge in ten bucks. Oh well, certainly sounds. You know, no, I'm not exactly sure what to think of that. I mean, I'm, for starters, I mean, I mean, you know, whereas. Uh, you know, you can bring your bag into the Sydney Opera House and the uh, ICC Centre, but I don't know, the Kudos Bank Arena, they're just fussy for some reason. They won't even let you, I don't know, bring a bottle of water in. Oh, they really should. I mean, well, I mean, I'm not quite, I'm actually not quite sure about that. I mean, when I went to see, when I, I've, I've gone to Kudos yeah. Bank Arena a couple of times. Once was one was to see Slipknot, who were absolutely amazing. <laughs> Did you get in the um, mosh pit? Oh well, yeah, I was a bit scared. <laughs> Did they allow uh, mosh moshing back then? Oh yeah, well I mean, as long as people could control themselves, you know, they allowed they allowed moshing. I mean, <laughs> every concert I've been to, people have. A lot of heavy metal concerts I've been to, I've seen people do the whole circle pit and <laughs> walls of death and um, all that stuff. There are a couple of things that they absolutely won't allow you to do. What's that? They won't. They won't allow you to stage dive. They used to, probably, <laughs> but they don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I've seen old, old videos back in the '90s of bands performing, and there are people who stage dive. You can't. Re- you can't really do that anymore. Otherwise. I don't know if you'd probably be escorted out of the concert. Who knows? Well, when I went to the concert, uh, they wouldn't even let us stand up and dance in our seat. Uh, well, I mean, that's pretty much been the climate of every venue, not just big venues, but of small venues too. They wouldn't even everybody, let us stand up. Sit, you know? Like, yeah. just stand up and go, yay! We had to sit down and go... I mean, it's kind of, the crowd may have a lot of enthusiasm for the performer, but it's really hard to show it when you're sitting down. Well, that's exactly right. Look, I I went to see Hans Zimmer uh, play at the Kudos. This is about four years ago. But I was sitting right up the back, and fuck me, the the atmosphere was so amazing. Oh, man, I bet, it, I bet it was. I mean, it's Hans Zimmer we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but everyone was seated. We all remained seated. I think it was when he when he played Time at the end, we all stood up and clapped. <clears throat> but yeah. uh, when he played the Wonder Woman and the Batman, it was like, you, you were just like, whoa. You're like, dude. Dude. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is the kind of music that you definitely do sit down for until the end. You know, you can, mm. you sort of contain your enthusiasm right until the end. You know, it's like there are certain forms of not just film music, which is what Hans Zimmer is obviously obviously, obviously <laughs> specialises in. Yeah. 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 Go on. Go. But there's also, um, <laughs> you know, bits of uh, experimental 
rock music, you know, that really... I, w- I went to see a band called Godspeed You Black Emperor, mm. and um, they're very much an experimental kind of band, you know, that have made music for, I think, the movie 28 Days, 28 days Later. Mm. And they performed a whole concert, and we were all standing up. The problem is with that band is that that music is definitely not standing up. Dance is not music you stand up and dance to. Mm. So probably probably would have been a better better as a seated gig. Me and my um, me and my um friends kind of, or me and my brothers kind of agree on that, you know. Well, yeah. I also too like I saw Dream Theater at the Horton Pavilion. Oh yeah, they're 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 great. I mean, especially yeah. John Mayer, he's great. We, I think, for the start of the gig, we were sitting down, but toward the end, <laughs> the security just thought, "Fuck it, you guys can go stand up and stand in the center because it's a smaller venue, and the smaller venues are better." I think. So we, uh, I think it was, you know, when they played "Pull Me Under," we we just stood up and they were they let us move. They, it wasn't like kudos where oh you've got to stay in your seat and that's your section like the Horton Pavilion I think is quite good you know they're more more lenient. yeah lenient relaxing there only cost me three dollars to cloak my bag that night which was good <laughs> yeah right I mean I think generally even without you know social distancing I think smaller venues are a lot more intimate, and that's that's what I like about it. I mean, mm. granted, you know, I would think that a band like Dream Theater, of a band of their stature, would probably be playing, you know, in sort of bigger, like really, really huge venues like stadiums, because they seem like that band. I mean, their music, sonically, it has that kind of. It has it. It sounds like the kind of music you would like you would hear in a massive theater, as per the name of that band, Dream Theater. Mm. Well, I I think too they sound better in smaller venues versus versus large, like large outdoor you know festivals as well. I mean, Megadeth they've they've played mostly in smaller smaller venues. As yeah, well. I saw them at the Horton Pavilion, and they were really good. You saw them at the Horton? Where did you go? Uh, when we well, that was this was all the way back in 2015. Mm. It was, um, I saw them because a friend of mine gave me tickets, and um, I was like, okay, cool. And I saw them, and um, it was just a great concert. You know, you got some great, really great musicians. Dave Mustaine, Dave Ellison in particular, the bassist. He's absolutely amazing, and. Um, yeah, the sound. I haven't. I didn't been in a big venue before, and it was probably the first time I heard properly good sound. Where were you sitting? I was standing. Nice. Were you in the front row? Well, not not the front row. No. I've only I've only been man, not in the front row. I've only been man enough to stand at the um, front row once, and that was um, when I saw Machine Head at the um, Enmore Theatre. <laughs> I was like. I was sort of, for the 20 minutes you wait, the 20 minutes I waited before the concert started, when I was at the front, I was like, oh boy, oh boy, this is, this is going to be a bit, it's going to be a bit wild. And um, then I, um, we actually, the concert started and my worries stopped and I just went ham, you know? Mm. 
didn't worry about the people around me. I was just like, this is, I'm, I'm just going to have a good time. You know? and so I just banged my head up and down and went all loopy. Didn't really care about the people around me. Unless they were hurt, of course, I would, would have brought them up. But um, no, you know, I, was, I wasn't really worried about getting hurt myself. So, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly right. You know, as long as you enjoyed the night out of the gig. Yeah, you know. yeah. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, as long as everybody looks out for each other, then you're bound to have a good gig. But see, with mosh pits, people have been hurt. Oh, well, yeah. Especially, especially, I mean, I'm not saying this is a fact, but I would think that maybe back pre-mobile phones and pre all that at heavy metal concerts that there's more of an instance where people there's more of an opportunity for people to get hurt mm. but nowadays you know bands even heavy bands will encourage people to look out for each other because serious stuff has gone down you know if there is a person in front of you that's noticeably you know that's that's gotten tripped over you know then the absolute you absolutely must pick them up it doesn't matter if you don't know them you have to pick you should pick them up you know i mean it's not actually not it's not that you should it's that you must you know because mm. death has resulted in that but that has resulted in death before well remember uh, the old woodstock festivals where people just light bonfires and go crazy well, I mean, that was, I think, that was, I think, that was, I think, that was Woodstock 1999, where everybody sort of, I mean, the, the whole purpose, I think, of Woodstock was kind of defeated yeah. with that concert, you know, and um, people got injured, and at, in Metallica, a dude collapsed in the mosh pit and fortunately died. Yeah. And, um... Metallica... Yeah, bonf bonfires were lit while um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think, were performing Fire, which is a Jimi Hendrix song. Yeah. Well, Megadeth played at that uh, concert as well. Did they? Yeah, they did. Uh, they were on a different stage. I know Metallica oh, yeah. did. Metall they sounded pretty good that night too. Especially Megadeth. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was Woodstock, 19 oh, Woodstock 1999. I mean, it, it always sounded good. I think the... Um, I mean, there were, a few, there were a good few great bands out there. Metallica, Limp Bizkit... Um, and um, it was just a good night that just got just derailed because of um, all this weird stuff that was going on. It was, a, it was like I said, it was completely different from the sort of, I guess, peaceful Woodstock 1969, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, Limp Bizkit, well, haven't heard much of them, but they, they managed to play at Woodstock in 1999. Oh, yeah, they did, and... Uh, they went crazy, and I think I think the lead singers um vocal um I don't, I don't know, but um this I think either his mic or his speaker went out. Nobody heard him. He was <laughs> sort of chanting Ethling Biscuit" or whatever, you know, and trying to get the crowd to chant back. The, the clips on YouTube, it's um, mm. I, and I look at that, it's like, well, that's one of the things that went wrong. And also, a bunch of people started as. Limp Bizkit want them to do breaking stuff, and um, you know, and he didn't really. Apparently, he didn't really tell anybody to mellow out as things were getting quite crazy. Mm. You know, it led to a lot of injuries, but um, which was it was yeah, it was it was it was just an absolutely wild gig. But I have 
Yeah, I, I still think Limp Bizkit are a creditable band. I mean, even though that was, even though the, I guess the um, decision to tell the um, them telling the crowd not to mellow out or whatever, I guess that was kind of a bit bad considering what was going on. But this is just a very very superficial look at it, you know. Mm. Jack, it was a very fantastic interview with you today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Steve. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, I mean, I just... <laughs> I have a couple of things on... Um, I just have a sort of little account on Instagram where I post things, you know, about my bands and about me. And I also have a... Um, I have a sort of stuff that I have done in the past. You know, I have a li little bits and pieces of music on, uh, of course, a um, page with my name on it, Jack Barrett, B-A-R-R-A-T-T. -A -A and, um, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. All right. And, guys, you can listen to my newest single on Spotify called Apocalypse as well and you can check out uh, my uh, video of Judas on YouTube Jack thanks for coming on the podcast absolutely mate yeah, it was a you pleasure absolutely amazing day whether you're having a not moving off the couch while you watch the game kind of day, or a no time between conference calls kind of day, it can still be a delicious Dunkin' kind of day. And with Dunkin' now available on DoorDash, it's easier than ever to get your faves brought right to your door. So if you're looking for coffees, donuts, and breakfast sandwiches in the morning, craving some afternoon snack and bacon, or in need of Dunkin' refreshers for a PM pick-me-up, we've got you covered. Order now and get your faves brought to your door through Grubhub, Uber Eats, and DoorDash. Price and participation may vary. Exclusions apply. America runs on Dunkin'. Es mejor llegar tarde a casa que nunca volver a llegar. Es mejor llegar tarde al trabajo que nunca volver a trabajar. Y es mejor recoger tarde a tus hijos que nunca volver a recogerlos. Llegar tarde a donde vayas por esperar a que pase el tren es mucho mejor que arriesgar tu vida tratando de ganarle el paso. Por algo existe el dicho, más vale tarde que nunca. Alto, el tren no para. Mensaje de Netzer.